Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast, the podcast about analog games, digital games, and metaphysical games. This is one of your hosts, Mark Uessa. And I'm Daniel Winter. Please tell me more about these metaphysical games. Well, aren't we just glints, photons in the uh, hologram that is reality? We are inside the simulated game. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure it would be nice to have, have a patch one of these days. In Future World, game plays you. <laughs> How are you today, Mark? I'm doing fairly well. I think I'm finally like getting over some uh, lingering illnesses from seasonal allergies, but uh, I'm surviving somehow. Excellent. Allergy season is over, and now drought season begins. Wildfire season. Smoke, smoke fills the air. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's summer in British Columbia, Canada, and lots of places, apparently. Yeah, we've gotten that light so far. The East Coast is uh, getting the brunt so far, so fingers crossed. Uh, oh well, murky outside. Stay in and play games, I guess. Yeah, it's a great, great week uh, weekend. I got looking forward to go on a camping trip, so I'm gonna take a digital break. I guess I'll be bringing some analog games with me. Excellent. Yeah, we're coming up on Canada Day as we record here, so extra, extra long weekend. I've got some family in town, so hopefully we'll find some time for games too. So, Very uh, nice. what's what's news to you lately? I think I'm going to actually save my news for the board game segment, if that's all right. Yes, we, we had Origins Game Fair, I think it's called, the one of the bigger board game conventions this last weekend. And I was not there, obviously, sadly. Uh, no, 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 it's not a huge one for announcements. I didn't really see any anything new that I was, wasn't aware of come out, but was exciting to see some, some friends celebrate board games, at least. I have been checking out the steam next fest uh, a big um i think i do these a couple of times a year but it basically put up a whole bunch of demos for upcoming games and they're only available for the week so it's limited time availability uh so i i made some time to, to dig into those before they disappeared so i just i was going to talk about a couple standouts from that uh one which uh, might, might will probably be familiar is called calico Actually, I think its full title is. I mean, let me look it up. Not the digital game, not to be confused with the board game. This is based on on, on the board game. It's a digital oh, really? version of the board game. Yeah, it's been coming oh. for a while, and they had a demo of it. And this is Cuts and Cats of Calico. There you go. That's the full title. A bit, bit of a mouthful, but I believe that's probably to differentiate itself from that previous game. Uh, so the yeah, digital implementation, it, it's not, like it's a pretty simple abstract game so you, you're not really going to shake that up too much obviously but there is a campaign mode that is, it was very simple it's more of a, like an introductory tutorial there were, it was only a couple of missions in, in the demo uh so very simple but they, they ease you in especially for those not familiar with the board games quite well so that was that was nice and now hopefully they'll mix up some of the objectives a little bit there was a very weird tonal shift that it's, it's like the campaign itself is is, is like a, a quilted map of this town that you're going around visiting various people and all very wholesome and the you're talking to to granny who wants to test her quilt and the the local baker or I think it is and then there's a some kind of military general who wants to test the quilts for military purposes or something like it's it's very strange tonal shift like i don't know why the, the the these quilts are going to the military but other than that it was uh yeah very very cozy there's uh digital cats walking around the screen as as you're putting down tiles uh, and uh, in the final version you better customize your own cats 
So that that should be very adorable. Looking forward to the final version of that. I haven't had a good digital board game implementation in a while, other than, of course, our our good friends at Board Game Arena, which keep pumping out so many games a month, it's hard to keep track. Yes, yeah, it's so easy to get in and out. I very rarely launch a dedicated app, but this this seems like an excellent one of those. Uh, I also tried Kingdom 80s. So this is a, a new reskin of... Kingdom New Lands, I believe, was the original. There's been a few of these that have been, I think most of them have been DLC uh, that just change the, largely just a reskin and, and tweaking some small details. This is a standalone reskin with tweaking a, a wider variety of things, but it's basically a side scroller tower defense almost. You've got your central town, you're, you you have a little horde of, 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 of followers that you're having collect money and, and using that money to build towers. But it's all, all on a 2D plane. So monsters are attacking from left and right and you're trying to defend on both fronts and eventually push to a, a portal to destroy it and move on to the next level. So, But this is all set in the 80s. Very Stranger Things aesthetic. That doesn't make much sense thematically why these you like you're you're a bunch of kids riding around on bikes but then you've got like even younger kids like 10-year-olds who you're sort of ordering around to, to build these fortresses and everything. It's a little strange. They're just riding around your bikes, uh, fight, fight, like, fending off these monsters. It's a, it's a, it's pretty delightful. And the, the music and, and, and graphics are just impeccable. I, I, I regularly listen to the soundtrack from the original game. It, it, it's very, the aesthetics are very cozy and chill for an incredibly stressful game. <laughs> so it's really uh, bit, a bit of a di- uh, dichotomy there, but it, it's a fantastic game. So I'm not, not sure exactly how this much this will mix things up, but if you're into 80s nostalgia, that uh, makes for a good option. The real standout for me was one called Little Kitty Big City. I've not played Stray, which was the sort of cyberpunk robot cat game this is a much more colorful bright modern version of of that it's just a a regular city very cartoony aesthetic plays a cat going around you you fall out of a window and you're trying to find your way back but very 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 quaint sort of you're talking to crows and and tanukis i I guess it must be set in japan uh so very cute aesthetic and the sort of irreverent sort of dialogue it's, it's, it's all very cute the the animations on this cat are amazing like there's so many tiny little details the way it like jumps when it accidentally touches water or sort of squeezes underneath a fence post or so when you when you run it's called the, the zoomies button obviously so a little bit twee what else was oh yeah so there's it's basically platforming so you, you're jumping around the city trying to to make your way around some light puzzling and it was all yeah, it all, all felt pretty responsive and and pretty pretty adorable. It was written actually by friend of Shut Up and Sit Down, Philip War, uh, and the the writing is said it's it's pretty pretty light and and very cute and well, well written. So I'm definitely going to be taking a close look at that when the final version comes out. Those sound like exciting new game options, uh, but uh, they're all demos, right? So their their releases will be coming in the future. I, I imagine. Yes, and and I th- by even by now, as we're recording, I believe the demos are no longer available. But so these will be coming all sometime later this year, I believe. Awesome! Something to look forward to. Absolutely, yeah. Very nice. Shall we talk about games we've been playing? Excellent. Yeah. What's been on your playlist? 
Speaking of new games, I was going to say that I don't keep up at all with new games, but I did check out a new game, Sight Unseen. I just started it up called Bookwalker, or Bookwalkers, perhaps. Oh, yes, that's all this. Yeah, on the console version of Game Pass. And it turned out to be a sort of a game within a game. I, I won't spoil too much, except the very basic premise, which we'll learn within the first five minutes, is that you seem to be an author. You have entered into some sort of contract where you have to fulfill these jobs, and these jobs see you diving into other people's stories. So you have the magical ability to dive into a book and walk around uh, that the world and sort of unravel a mystery. So basically, your mission is to go get object from book uh, A to Z. The cool thing about the game is that the the real world, quote unquote, outside is first person, very kind of drab, very Euro, kind of like a you know <laughs> Bioshock Infinite sort of way, but the the very like mundane parts of Bioshock, and then. Once you enter the book, it's an isometric 2D experience. And I got to say, this is like exactly the sort of graphical adventure game that I would have been very excited to play like 20 years ago. The controls are terrible, (laughs) especially with a gamepad. (laughs) But the writing is pretty sharp. It's got, uh, it's it's obviously a European team or not English. Mm, got some of that native English on team. It. <laughs> exactly but i kind of love that i kind of find that endearing when you get some weird, yeah yeah weird translations and it's got some like kind of postmodern twists on storytelling so uh, i played the first mission or so in about that 30 40 minutes and i really enjoyed it and i, I think the idea is that you dive into like four or five more books after that so you should see a decent variety of of action there's Mostly graphical adventure gaming, sort of finding the key and fitting into the puzzle sort of fair. But there's also light RPG style combat and puzzle solving. Like there's there's non-linear paths and there's these little goodies that you can you can very obviously miss if you don't look for them. So pretty intriguing from a, a little indie game. Uh, I think I'll go back to play it some more. Excellent. So it mixes up the the gameplay quite a bit there. Yeah, the the, the art style looks quite a, uh, looks reminds me a little bit of Disco Elysium. I've perhaps not played enough of those uh, isometric uh, RPGs to, to differentiate exactly. But uh, yeah, I'm fascinated by how it, how it mixes the perspectives, the first person to isometric. I was uh, I was just thinking about one of my one of my favorite childhood games on the super nintendo who did a similar thing jurassic park it actually had like an isometric map that you're wandering around and then when you go into a facility it jumps to like a a first person doom clone uh, i was always fascinated by that by that, those transitions so right, <laughs> curious how to sure. that off. don't expect too much from the the 3d sections of the game for instance i had one of those situations where you're walking into your apartment you're standing in the door frame and the door is open and you're going to close the door behind you because, you know, I'm going to RP this thing. So I'm standing <laughs> in the door frame. I'm closing the door behind me. And when I close the door, my body is outside of my apartment. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I passed right through my door. So uh, ex- expect plenty of jank like that. Yeah. So, so that the full title of that is The Bookwalker Thief of Tales. Very nice. Yeah. It's, it's promising. Excellent. How about well, uh, I also I have also been exploring Xbox Game Pass as we uh, want to do. Uh, my daughter spotted one actually and insisted we try it. Uh, this is called Planet of Lana. I don't know what the the official <laughs> uh, genre is called, but basically a go right game. 
I, I, I don't mean that derogatorily. I, I, in that it, it, it plays like Limbo or Inside in that it's 2D side-scroller and you are walking right. And there's going to be some puzzles and some platforming that get in the way, but largely your goal is go right. Uh, and I, I don't want to be gatekeep gatekeepy about what counts as a game. Like, walking simulators are absolutely games. No, no question about that. The gameplay here does leave a little bit to be desired. There's like some puzzles. There's a few puzzles that are that are okay, but most of it is just some stealth sections, or basically puzzles where it's ex extremely obvious what you need to do. It's just a matter of executing. Like go and press this button, then slowly drag this crate over here, and then order your companion to go and do this, and then drag this over. Like, it, was, it was just very r r rote and just slow and plodding in terms of the actual mechanics. But it's just a stunning, stunning game to look at. There's these amazing vistas in the backgrounds and foregrounds uh, playing nicely together. Story isn't like anything revolutionary, but it, I think it is, it, it's slow, but is well done. It's a lot of environmental storytelling. There's no dialogue. It's just they, the characters all speak a, like a, another language, and you're mostly alone anyway. So it's most it's all stories told by environmental storytelling and some really clever use of music to tell the story, which I I found I found quite clever, uh, and a pretty pretty thrilling ending. I just finished it right before we recorded tonight, so I, I it's nothing new, but if you're a fan of those types of games, it's a, it's a solid one of those. Yeah, I also played that game before uh, I heard you talking about it. I, I played for about 20 minutes, and I, I got to say, I was pretty pretty bored out of my skull after that first segment there. I didn't even get it to the point where I found a companion, so I'm, I clearly didn't reach as far as you did, but I gave up yeah, the Yeah, that was a nice touch. You do Most of the game, you actually have a little companion that makes for an, a, a nice touch, just... A, it's, it's, it's nice. The, the relationship there over the, over the course of the game is, is built nicely. Uh, but you do definitely have to be patient in this game. There's, there is a segment where a song plays, and you basically have to push right for the entirety of the two, three-minute song <laughs> and just wait for it to play out while, you've, while you're holding onto that right joystick. So your mileage may vary depending on your patience. But it's, it's, if you're willing to sit through that, it's, it's, yeah, I, I really did enjoy what was there. Okay, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I'll talk about a game I pulled out of, uh, once again, Xbox Live. Um, but uh, I also own this title, and you can buy it on multiple different platforms. It's a old-style isometric RPG, but it's a newer game uh, called Pillars of Eternity. It's by mm. RPG veterans, uh, Obsidian. I believe it is set, it, it uses the Monty Cook uh, Numenera RPG system. That which is right, yeah which is the same system that they use for Torment, Tides of Numenera, of course. And I actually own some Numenera PDF books that they were having a, a Humble Bundle sale on before. And it's a really fascinating world. I kind of love these RPG worlds that are sort of like far-flung future, where it blends into fantasy how futuristic things are, uh, where you know society is, is crumbled and there's kind of a lot of mystery to them. Uh, so this this... This game is, uh, I don't believe it is set in a far-flung world, though. Um, Torment is. Anyhow, Pillars of Eternity is much more similar to your D&D &D 5e fare, 
kind of grimy villages, uh, snowy passes, <laughs> um, you know, ogres attacking you in the forests, uh, spirits and sprites living in trees, that sort of thing, you know, cultists around every uh, uh, village. So uh, I'm just in the first hour or two of Pillars of Eternity, but there's already some really interesting choices. And despite the fact that it's inspired by those old isometric Bioware style RPGs like Icewind Dale, what is what is the famous one? Baldur's, um, Gate. Baldur's Gates. Yeah. One and two. It's much more new and fresh and runs pretty clean mm. on uh, PC anyways. I'm, I'm playing it on Steam Deck and it, it's still a decent enough screen resolution where I can play it on the on that tiny screen. So uh, even nicer experience on a modern PC. So I highly recommend that. I I, I enjoy those two games, Pillars of Eternity and Torment, Tides of Numenera. <laughs> uh, I think that engine is pretty solid, and uh, I think that uh, game that game engine, the Numenera system, is pretty cool too. So uh, I'll try and keep playing those. But they're very they're very rich and deep. So we'll see if I last all the way till the end. Yeah, quite a few of hours to, to wrap those up. I, I played a few hours of it and, and enjoyed it. I, I always struggle with those games, though. I, I got to the first, like, the big city, and just I always find myself completely overwhelmed by feeling I need to talk to everyone and get all the side quests and see what all the options are, and then just burn out immediately as soon as I hit, like, this, the big open world or, or big open city. Uh, I, I need I need more direction in those games to, to keep myself focused. <laughs> yeah, that actually happened to me with Torment, uh, Tides of Numenera, where you literally can pursue every adventure quest within a city, and there's something like 30, 30 or 40 quest lines within wow. a single city alone. Like, the first city, the first town you visit is an actual city with a deep history and you can do it all you can see it all took me about you know two or three play sessions to get through everything but i completed it you know uh, not even as a hardcore completionist i enjoyed myself i got through it all and i got to the next section and i actually felt good about that it's like i didn't feel like oh i left those threads unexplored i i really did lock it up i know i know that's not for everyone and you certainly don't have to do that you can you can mainline the story but uh, i enjoyed that aspect of torment uh tides of numenera excellent yeah i've heard the the storytelling is excellent in both of those uh so i've been i've been meaning to double back and and give it another shot so they did just announce in the same world as pillars of eternity uh avowed at the the xbox summer showcase i think it was by it's a, a first person uh rpg in the same universe yeah, I'm really excited about that. I think the the, the Numenera setting is so promising. Um, uh, it reminds me of this old RPG, uh, pen and paper RPG system called Earth Dawn from Faza. Mm-hmm. That's sad, sadly now defunct, but I'd love to get a, a campaign of that up and running again. I love that cool, cool world. Excellent. Uh, any other digital games you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak briefly about another um, kind of newish title uh, that I've been playing on the Steam Deck called uh, Triangle Strategy. I think it's available on other consoles as well. I think it's on Switch, for instance. It's kind of uh, one of those what 2D HD um, genre of games, uh, wave of games. I think it's like also Path Enix. Traveler. I think in this very it's, similar art style. Yeah, it's that. similar art style, but it's not a similar game mechanism this Mm. is more of the final fantasy tactics ogre battle style isometric turn-based combat genre so very much tactics based fighters on uh, a grid 
sort of affair, but it's pretty in depth. All the characters have quite cool abilities. It's a little bit less cutesy and, and twee and a little bit less thirsty than the Fire Emblem <laughs> style of uh, character design, but very, very anime. And I would say that the story is right up that you know George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones. Say, it looks very Game of Thrones. Mold. <laughs> so much so that like I'm I'm kind of having a hard time following what's going on the, in the story. There's basically these three kingdoms. They're they're sort of at this tenuous balance of power, and you play. Uh, a couple essentially uh, that is sort of like Romeo and Juliet, except they haven't died yet is ch- attempting to bring these two houses together. Uh, but of course things are going to get twisted from there. <laughs> so yeah, I'll play entire sections that are just, you know, role-playing like fact finding, like not only can you have these sessions where you watch the cutscenes very much like a movie, but you can also have a gameplay session. That's just, you're at a dinner party. Like you're at a reception, you are the lord, and you have to talk up the talk up your retainers and your uh, potential allies, and find new information from them. So, think of a tactical RPG that's had you have to conduct small talk at a dinner party before. I, I you know, I can't think of <laughs> one that's done that in my recent memory. So, I think it's pretty interesting. It's trying a lot of things there. I, I, I applaud its ambition. There's branching decisions in the story too, right? Absolutely, yeah. There's a case pretty early on, those three kingdoms come together, and you're going to go escort them back to their kingdoms. But you have to choose which of the two potential allies you're going to go with. So this is a binary choice. You can't do them both. Whichever one you go with, conceivably, you're going to forge better bonds with but the other party that you don't end up going with they might grow in enmity they might grow ill feelings towards your kingdom let's just say (laughs) so you actually have like you have to role play this very serious session where you gain all the advice of your of your counselors essentially you have to judge their counsel so you're kind of like really playing out game of thrones you're kind of like playing young playing out brand stark or something like that oh <laughs> excellent well, how, how is the tactics though the tactics is really solid i like it uh, a lot of tactical games i love the tactics genre but a lot of tactical games i just are kind of like reading the tea leaves there's a lot of unwritten rules that you have to seek a lot of game packs to, to mm. find out exactly what percentages of breakdowns, the hidden stats and weaknesses and the hidden yeah. te- techniques that are required to make them work. But this one, it's a little bit more transparent. Each of the characters is a lot more unique. One of them, for instance, has just like straight up two actions a turn. So how you play with them is very different than how you play with the others. Mm. So really enjoying that part of it so far. Excellent. Any other games yourself? I've been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom and Diablo 4 still. So <laughs> those will keep me busy for quite some time. Yeah, those are the 800-pound uh, gorillas that all landed on our heads at the same time. 800-hour gorillas. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, so why don't we switch to the board game table? Let's do it. You go ahead. Yeah, so I have not been playing a lot these last couple of weeks. Uh, my usual gaming group has uh, been unavailable and enjoying the, the summer 
weather. But uh, I have been playing solo uh, a game called Sleeping Gods. So this is it's only a couple of years old, I think, by Ryan Laukat of Red Ravens. He's made a lot of games lately of these sort of Euro games mixed with storytelling. And this is really taking that storytelling and focusing on just that. You're given this huge binder of story prompts, basically, uh, the old, like the old Arabian Nights, like binder of of one thousand story, like num- numbered story beats. And you, you're on you're on a ship, like a steamship. You've been transferred to a strange world with your crew, and you're trying to find your way back home. And you have to find these totems basically uh and so you're, you're you're just sailing around these islands you don't really give it any guidance you just have to, you ha- find the totems basically and do, so a lot of just exploring for the sake of exploring you don't you're not sure where to start you have a map and you can kind of see some details on the map as to what might look interesting but it's really up to you as to where you go and what you do so there'll be some like combat when you go to these some locations, there's some skill checks. There's sort of maintenance, like you have to maintain your ship's like d- damage on your ship and your sh- your crewmates' health. So, sort of paced so, so that you go back to town every every few turns. Uh, it, it's the story. The story is solid so far. I, I don't get a great sense of character. Like you, you have like this whole crew of nine different people, and those are going to be split regardless of how many players you have, they're going to be split accordingly. So if you're four players, you'll have a couple of characters each. If you're playing solo, you'll have all nine characters that you're managing. But it's, it's not, it doesn't add any upkeep. It's just that when you when you take actions, when you go into combat, you have those available to you. You're, the crew as an entirety is taking the turn. So it's not like it adds any extra upkeep, really. Uh, it just gives you more options. So I, I like how streamlined that element is, but I, I, I don't really have a great sense of the characters. Like they, they're all named characters with their own artwork and, and history on the cards, but the stories aren't really giving me a good sense of who these people are. It's just go to this location, find this MacGuffin who gives you a quest, find a person who gives you a quest to go to a different island and is following these various threads and trying to figure out what is most interesting. And, I'm already running out of time and I have not really achieved anything <laughs> in this game. So I, I'm not sure how well I'm going to end it. Uh, it's obviously very replayable, but it feels like you're gonna, there's going to be an optimal path to find. Like once you've found the best way to go through it, I'm not sure there's a lot of, you have to force yourself to, tro- to, to go somewhere different basically and, and just want to explore for the sake of exploring. I think it's about a 20 hour campaign, but there there is no like missions or scenarios. It's just play the whole thing for 20 hours and then you can sort of save it at any time. So it's very flexible in that sense. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. I just picked up one one of the expansions that adds a bunch of new locations to just check out. I love me some exploring. I love the, the binders of stories. You can't, there is an app that, that costs extra. So for now, I'm, I'm just reading through it by myself. Quite enjoying Sleeping Gods. Yeah, very cool. Um, I have one of those Loudcat games. I just can't remember what the title of it is. I think it's sort of this like faux video game kind of world. There's near and far and like above and below and over. Un- <laughs> There's a whole yeah. bunch of those. That it's, one of those. Vibe. it's one of yeah. those this and, this and that games. <laughs> but that does sound intriguing. Can't say I've experienced it myself. 
Uh, as for games I've been playing, I've been playing the regular uh, group of games, so I won't linger on them long. I've been playing Century Spice Road, more Caverna. Been enjoying those quite a bit, but the game I want to talk about is actually it's a game I haven't played before, and I, it's a game I don't think is readily available yet. So basically, this past weekend, I went down to our good friends Rain City Games here in downtown Vancouver. Of course, they have a New Westminster location as well, and at both locations, they were doing uh, free RPG day. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, I took my kids down there. They wanted to get some games. We got some games. Uh, that's where I picked up that Magical Kitties game box I was telling you about, which is itself a tabletop RPG about, wouldn't you know it, Magical Kitties, uh, which <laughs> we haven't cracked open yet, but that looks fun. We also picked up a little card game called Sabobotage. So we're going to try that out in our camping trip this upcoming weekend. So putting those two aside, uh, I didn't have much great expectations about the free RPG offerings. I I figured there'd be from various systems that me and my oldest kid don't usually play, but they're really enjoying D&D these days. And I, you know, I kind of want to expose them to some other RPG systems. So we looked at some things. I quickly snatched up the Pathfinder and the Starfinder booklets because I know a little bit about those systems and and they're intriguing to me. My kids picked up, I think they both picked up the Avatar, the uh, Last Airbender, that is, Avatar Legends RPG booklets. Uh, They came with a pair of 2D6 and also one of my kids picked up, what was it, the Root RPG booklet, Mm, uh, which is, of course, based on the board game. But one title I saw on the counter I saw the title, I read the title, and I kind of put it in my mind, and I thought, huh, that's that's interesting. But, you know, I had my heart, heart set on Pathfinder and Starfinder. And then, lo and behold, I'm on Facebook or something later, or Instagram, and I see an ad for a new Modifius game. Modifius uh, being a publisher of tabletop RPGs. I enjoyed their Star Trek Adventures RPG uh, system, for instance. It's relatively new. It's, it's from the last... I don't know, five, less than 10 years anyways, last few years. Uh, very uh, decent, slick, updated uh, RPG system I really enjoyed. So that uh, new system that they've come up with is called Dreams and Machines. Hmm. Have you heard of it okay. at all? No, it's not ringing any bells. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dreams and Machines. Well, I think it's brand new, and I don't think it's out yet. It says pre-order now, so it's definitely not out yet. But there is a lot of marketing material out there. There's YouTube videos, there's designer uh, diaries, there's like lore diaries, which are very cool. And the, the basic pitch of this game is that this is Horizon Zero Dawn, the tabletop role-playing game. Yeah, I can so, see someone already looking at the art here. Yeah. yeah, it's set in a far-flung world. It's actually not on Earth. I guess it's a colony that was separated from Earth due to a catastrophe. So like a self-inflicted apocalypse, they call it. Basically, I think the basic premise is that this AI... <laughs> right. It was like this AI that was threatening the entire planet. So basically, they just nuked the AI and destroyed the technology, and people were bombed back into the Stone Age. So all the technology that existed exists out there still. There's these hulking mechs dotting the landscape covered in moss, somewhat like a uh, recent Zelda game that we talked about last episode, or like a Ghibli movie uh, like Nausicaa, for instance. Those sorts of worlds really excite me. I like the idea of like hyper laser swords 
along with like bows that have, you know, homing arrowheads or whatever, this mix of old and new technology, Hmm. this idea that the technology is way lower than in the past and that you could go out into these these old ruins and find new to you tech that could be uh, recovered. And it has now magical properties because it's, this technology is so um, unfamiliar to you. It so, makes for a fun sense of archeology, span but where the things you're discovering are more advanced tech than your own. <laughs> right. So, reverse archeology span almost. Yeah. Uh, yeah so, it's, a, it's a fun setting. Horizon Zero Dawn, Zelda, Nausicaa, and even that RPG system I told you about earlier, Earth Dawn, all had that familiar concept, which I love, which is ancient civilization is higher technology than you, and you're just eking out um, a meager life on the edge of that world. And so this RPG system promises that. It looks exciting. Uh, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, but it looks pretty slick <laughs> so far. Uh, I've already asked Rain City Games if they could grab that copy of that f- free RPG day. Oh, so there was like a, a, a sample. Uh, there was a sampler there, but I, okay. I just didn't pick it up. And they promised to shuttle it over from New West to downtown. So I'm very, very pleased with their customer service. I'm very happy for that. Excellent. Yeah, I've, I've been considering that I, w- I want to try my hand at a, a tabletop RPG again. I don't really know where to start. I've got a few options, but I mean, and I, I need to make the time <laughs> as well, but something other than, than D&D, it would have to be. But it's certainly a lot of interesting looking settings out there to explore. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very interested in starting something up. I, I do have a regular D&D group going, but uh, I don't DM that. So I'd certainly be willing to GM a session of something like that. We talked about Mothership the other day with Jillian. And there's other smaller RPGs like Fiasco that I have some PDFs for. There's that aforementioned Numenera. So I might do a little bit of reading while I'm camping and I'll let you know how it goes. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, very curious to see how that plays out. Very cool. Any more analog games for you? No, no. I think we should get on with our featured game. Sounds great. Let's do it. Welcome back. Let's jump into our featured segment this episode. We're jumping back to the board game world and with a deep dive of It's a Wonderful World. This is designed by Frederick Gerard. Right. This game came out in 2019, uh, art by Anthony Wolf, and published in English by Lucky Duck, perhaps in other countries by Ori Games and La Boite de Jeu. So, to get some baggage out of the way very quickly, I mean, I I did get receive a review copy of this game and the expansion, De- Decadence and Leisure expansion. So, take that what you may. I did also play this on BGA some time ago. Game I didn't love on BGA, as we also to discuss, I, I expected that it would probably play better in person. So I was quite interested to to see how this plays on the table, as it were. So did you want to give a description of, of your history with this? I will say that I did not receive a physical copy of this game, so I will, <laughs> no I will speak the truth. 
about It's a Wonderful World. Don't you mind me. I will tell the truth to the people. Um, this game, I actually played uh, first on Board Game Arena. The first and only time I played in person was with you and uh, friends last night, in fact, at your home. And it was a cool experience, but don't let me get ahead of myself. I actually thought it worked pretty well in digital. Like I, I am familiar with some games that are the, the precursors to this game. Well, first of all, let's just say sort of what the basics of what you're doing yes. are. This yeah. is a, a drafting game. So if you think of something like Seven Wonders or Sushi Go, that's a good place to start. Or the good old classic great-grandfather of uh, drafting games, which is Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so you start each with a pack of, what is it, seven? It's seven cards, right? Yes. Yeah. Right. And unlike Seven Wonders, where there are sort of three ages with potentially more in the expansions, in this game, everything comes from a closed pool of cards. So every one of the four rounds is pulling from the same uh, pool of one cards. Giant deck. <laughs> right. So you have some interesting combinations of finding cards that you'll really want in the late game but they come out in your first hand. And then likewise, you get some really meager cards that come out later. But that's very similar to a lot of other games like Race for the Galaxy, where you see the entire deck go by you. So basically, you're drafting one card at a time. And then there's a, a resolution that happens at the end of every round. And I'll just leave it at that in terms of the very most basic of the mechanics to give you a placement. So I, I think it'll really help if you have that as your foundation of at least trying one of those more, more basic drafting games before you jump on this. Not that it's too, too complex, but I would say it's, it's another level after Seven Wonders, for instance. Yeah, so drafting is definitely one of the core elements. I, I, I think it's important to note that the other, the other core element here is the cubes. You are basically trading... It's, it's five colors of cubes, and you're trading one type of cube for other types of cubes ostensibly similar to century spice robe which you mentioned earlier and even splendor which isn't cubes but similar like arbitrary resource that you're basically upgrading into into other resources or all part of an efficiency puzzle ostensibly yeah, and uh, Seven Wonders does have resources, of course, but it doesn't have those physical resources that you spend away. They just sort of stay with you for the rest of the game. So certainly I could I can understand that they are a different feel from each other, for sure. To what end, I guess, is the question here. The, the theme in this game, I mean, you, you might be quite very confused by the title here. There are, there are no angels or christmas <laughs> fables here uh it is about dystopias basically you play the leader of a of a nation and you're trying to be the the best dystopian leader i, I guess there's like one sentence of theme in in the rule book like be the best tyrant i guess so a little bit tongue-in-cheek there you're you're collecting resources to just it's all part of bureaucracy, basically, and just infrastructure to to build up your nation and be the best ruler and just cons consolidate power. But it, the game doesn't really say anything ab about that theme thematically. There, there is no theme here, really. It's just all yeah. It's it's flavor A or flavor B. Yeah, there is there is it's all it's all setting, no theme. I will say. Yeah, despite that, I think the art is fairly attractive in its kind of comic book sort of way. It reminds me a lot of the generic future of a game I also enjoy called Underwater Cities, 
that's also set in the kind of indistinct near future where the world future from like the 70s or something i guess yeah where the world is uh very slick but maybe not everything is so clean and tidy as you might hope it is yeah i'll I'll go so far to say the artwork is is quite stunning actually it's it's really detailed amazing artwork every card every card just about has unique artwork on it to the point that it's so much detail in each of these cards it almost feels like each card is its own board game it's like, oh, this one, this this one is side. There's giant robots in it. This one is like has parallel dimensions. Uh, this one is like aliens. That, uh, the, the the space the, the, what was it the, the the saucer division or something. <laughs> right. The individual cards definitely if if they definitely tell a story. For instance, you would be forgiven if you looked at this a card of a happy bouncing baby smiling away at, at his or her parents and I think, oh, that's cute. Until you see the shark gills that are protruding out oh, of the side of the, the baby's <laughs> neck. So the first time I saw that, I was, you know, I was taken back. This is, this is a brave new world that we're entering into. So yeah, certainly kudos to the artwork there. The artist uh, Anthony Wolf has done great work there. Also, in terms of the other components, they're quite serviceable as well. There's this kind of chunky two-part, I guess, resource tray, you could call it that, that is a, is in a very clear arrow shape because you're supposed to resolve the sort of dominance of the resources in a certain order. And you got these very nice, if not standard, terraforming Mars-style semi-translucent cubes, colored cubes in five different colors, I believe. Well, I guess it's a six, I guess, because there's also the red, which is kind of oh, yeah. like wild. That's right. They're like a, a rare wild resource. So, yeah, so you, these cubes, you'll put each card requires a certain random assortment of colored cubes to put down. And then once it's built, it goes into your empire and then will either give you points and or production cubes that, w- that will produce you further cubes in the later rounds and so the system feeds itself yeah. so and it yeah. could also give you either temporary or spendable i guess alignment tokens if you want to call them that you got the blue dude which is sort red, of like red versus blue basically. Red, red lady or blue dude and yeah. uh, blue dude i think represents like peace and like commerce or something like that and i think it's more like, bureauc- like governments and and bureaucracy and one's yeah. like military strength yeah, Red Lady represents the two, the, side, the two sides of, of uh, the Iron of. Hand. Yeah, uh, mechanically, all they do is they end up being sort of point multipliers in flavor A or flavor B. So don't need to go much deeper than that. But you might receive one or two of those symbols from the cards that you complete. Yes, and so largely you'll you'll want to find yourself leading one way or the other. You so you'll you'll want to get the the red discs and the the cubes. Sorry, the, the cards that give you points for red discs, or collect the blue discs and the point points. The, the cards that give you points for blue discs, and, and like both those strategies largely play the same. There is no strategic difference in that, other than the car, the colors of the cards that, that tend to give you those icons. Basically, it's similar to like the, the revolution is is built within the the oppression you know like there's there's two sides of the same coin here there's no real theme everything everything plays exactly the same right they're they're both less than ideal futures 
in that they're, there is all the improvisation, uh, especially like in the first turn. You've got f- you've got seven cards. Some of those might be end game cards. So now you have to decide: well, do I take the end game cards now and and start committing to them, even though they take a lot of resources, or do I or do I focus on getting those? lower cards that are all more production focused right now I, I take this i want to take this moment to really spell out a couple of details that are mm. really clever yeah. and also really crucial to this game that are very quite innovative the the first one being that when you draft these cards you're not just building them like you would in seven wonders or converting them into money you can do one of two things with the cards that you draft well first of all you you draft all seven and then you decide what to do with each so you don't have to decide in the very moment you're just collecting them into your hand so at the end after you've drafted them all and you get handed the last one because of course you have no choice with the last one you are going to see a reward at the bottom of the card that you will receive once it's built and only once it's built. And then off to the bottom right, to the right side of it, you see a resource that you can gain if you recycle the card, which is to say you discard the card, you gain its temporary effect, and that is to receive that uh, recycling bonus. So. It's interesting that you're drafting both the cards that you're going to build and the resources that you're going to use to build them with. And that part of it, yeah, it's a real sort of brain melting exercise, to be honest. Definitely the first couple of times you try it, your head is just spinning. There's an incredible number of micro decisions. It's not like a worker placement game where you've got your worker, you put it down, you get that action. Here you've got the draft, which is like seven little decisions. Then you've got... The construction phase, I think it's called, where you, like, each of those seven cards, you, are you going to build it? Are you going to recycle it? And like the number of combinations in which you can order those and be, and be quite clever to, to spend some cards to build others that will get you a production. There's some very clever ways of playing that. And all those little yeah. micro decisions, yeah, you're constantly thinking through all these all these varieties right. and there's one more brilliant gameplay mechanism that builds on top of what we just discussed which is the resource dominance and the res- resource dominance resolution order so we talked about those five primary resource colors and then the sixth one which is the the wild card the red and uh, sometimes you actually require the red. The red can stand in as any other color, but sometimes you have to have the red cube and only the red cube will do. So there is a way that you can convert five unwanted resource cubes of any color into red. And that's very handy for the times that you absolutely need it. Other times you might just get a one-off red cube as a reward for building a card as well. But the other five resource types get resolved in order and the resolution i believe the order is gray black green yellow blue is that right yes yeah so yeah gray, so, gray black green yellow blue yes that's right. right so yeah so everyone receives their gray production then everyone receives their black productions and so yeah on. now eat everyone will produce if they have 
cards that allow them to produce. And, and, you know, you might be starting with a initial faction that gives you resources of a certain color. You can play with everyone has the same or everyone has different. Uh, that's kind of cool, depending on the side that, of the starting faction card that you start with. But otherwise, the cards that you build also give you stuff. But if one person produces more than anyone else, that person alone gains dominance in that color. And that person receives a, a special bonus. And most of the time, it comes in the form of one of those. All, all of the time, it's those, those red and blue discs. Right. Get one, where you get one of those, basically. It's <laughs> either one. Or it's one of two. It gives you an option. Yeah. <laughs> right. But that's actually not even the coolest part is that because the resources are executed in a certain way, for instance, yeah. you might earn enough gray to unlock a card that gives you the production of black just in the nick of time, just before you need it. And that part of it is such an enticing puzzle and balancing act you really have to thread the needle just so and i think recycling cards is the ace in the hole that allows you to do that if you have very judicious use of recycling your cards and you know what the order their resources come in it's like chef kiss you can execute like playing a piano concerto or something like yeah you can really set up some some excellent like co- combos or like so oh, pro- you've programmed in advance well like, hey if i set the, the engine is going to produce gray that will complete this to get like yeah so it trains into each other in some really satisfying ways absolutely yeah and you won't really see that until you're probably your second or third game you might think uh it's just a seven wonders clone at the beginning but if you give it a shot if you play or watch a couple of games and you really see how well someone hopefully it's you is executing that threading of the needle to unlock those resources just at the right time or or (laughs) as it might go just before the end of the game which happens quicker than you think after (laughs) four short rounds yeah, so, and you, you mentioned this supremacy bonus. So uh, for each of those five colors, the person who produced the most is going to get one of these tokens, which in of it itself isn't a lot. So, you know, if, say you're playing a five-player game, you might only get one or two of those around, and that's a, and that's a couple of points, potentially. They, depending on your cards, it might be might be worth a few points, but it, it, it tends that sort of drips out a few points. They're not a huge, like, it doesn't, it doesn't give you a huge strategic boon. What I think is really understated about that, though, is A, is just these little moments of, oh, like, surprising whether you won or not. Like, it's, 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 always, it's always a bit thrilling. It's like, oh, I, I think I've got this one. I think, oh, you, Mark's got five. I only had four. I thought I had that one, but you, you, you tend to, you built one more gray building at the last moment to, to, to get an edge on me. But it's, it's also just, it, it's a great way of gauging the progress around the board. Especially with these sort of games like like race or or uh, terraforming Mars, uh, the Ares expedition we we're discussing, that have these tableaus of cards in front of you, and it's, it's very hard to look around the table and gauge what everyone how how is everyone doing? There's just a flood of symbols in front of everyone. It's really hard to tell what they're doing and how to counter that. Whereas this. There's the you, every, every, at the end of every round, you take this moment to gauge. Okay, how much gray does everyone have? How does how much black does everyone have? And you get a sense how well is how well is everyone's engine at this moment. And so it's it's a great sort of summary, a uh, little little just little check in to to compare yourself 
<laughs> yeah, and boy, does it ever swing really hard in <laughs> one direction or another. I think, you know, we played last night, we played, what, three or four yep. games in a row? Three games. Uh, three games, right. So we played, we played them right in succession, right after each other. And in the early rounds, you know, you're eking out two, three, four, five, six resources of given color, congratulating one of the players if they got seven resources or something like that. And eventually you're pulling out 12 or 16 blue resources or yellow. (laughs) 20 blue in one round. (laughs) There you go. There's not enough cubes to go around at that point because, um, you know, you have even these resource multipliers that might say, get this many blue for each black card that you built or get this much yellow for each yellow card that you built or something to that effect. And uh, of course, that's just exponential, right? By the time the fourth round rolls around, you are just, you're swimming in blue or green. You'll find that you don't even have places to spend all these resources. So that's when the, what is it, donating to the cause or something like that comes in, where you can convert five of any color into red, and then you can Drop those in to accomplish those hard to More finish a ones. Prize than anything though, really. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad, and we'll we'll talk about it later. But there's some other ways to utilize those cards, those resources with the expansions. But uh, even in the base game, you <laughs> you're very happy with yourself if you just get that fifth resource that you need to get one one more red cube to finish off that building. Yeah, so I, th- I think we can talk about those expansions shortly, but just to just to summarize my thoughts on this, I, I, it's not a terribly deep game. You, you, you're likely going to find yourself coming down to one of a couple of strategies, like here's all the cards that produce red and give you points for red, or here's all the cards that produce blue and give you points for blue, and, and uh, there's, there's, it's largely two parts that are largely going to play the same. It's all improvising a path between those. But it, it, it's, it's a relatively short game, like uh, usually half an hour to an hour doesn't overstay its welcome like it, it, it's it's one of those engine building games that feels like it ends right at the perfect moment doesn't like sometimes you feel like oh, oh i really would have one more round one more round and, and it would i would have really got my engine going but this really does feel like it ends r- right at the, at the perfect time i most of most games uh and yeah there's it, so many little like I said, as i said before this incredible chain of micro decisions that you're just constantly engaged because I, I think I don't think we've mentioned pretty much every phase in this game is simultaneous. The drafting is simultaneous, the construction is simultaneous, the production is simultaneous, and so you're always engaged. Like you just you're you're in the zone for the entire game, constantly making these tiny little macro decisions and just generating generating cubes. <laughs> Got to keep, right. keep the cubes going, and that's why we were able to get uh, three games in tight succession in the span of one night and it wasn't even a particularly long night of game playing it's incredible how much tactical and strategic gameplay you can get in in a short about 30 minutes uh, i i get real strong vibes of a, a lot of games in the wheelhouse of what i enjoy you know i, I really like seven wonders race for the galaxy eminent eminent domain you know, Century Spice Road, you get like really crunchy decision making, you get to touch upon strategic avenues as well, you're really hoping to pull off this long term effect. Sometimes you might be sowing the seeds of later buildings in the first round that you're going to complete only on the last round, last turn of the fourth round. So it's not just tactical, you you can really get a lot of 
push and pull uh, and a lot of deep game space within a 30-minute span. So that itself, a big kudos there. It took me a little while to get warmed up to this game because it was self-taught. Uh, I was learning on BGA. I didn't didn't have a smooth intro, but by this point, I'm able to play pretty darn quickly, even in person. I would say if you find yourself with a lot of analysis paralysis or people in your life have a lot of AP, I might steer those players away from this particular title because you're probably going to see a heck of a ton of that when you play because you could go in really myriad different directions. You could go in 50 different directions all in the span of one choice. And, and that that's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. As, as I mentioned before, I, I, I didn't. This didn't grab me playing it online, especially a, asynchronously. But in person is really where this shines. At least, at least playing it in real time, I guess, would probably work on BGA too. But because it, it's all so many small micro decisions, you really need to to be in the zone and be chaining those. Well, like you, you, you lose momentum for for a minute, and you've forgotten. It's also abstract as well. So because it's so abstract, you really need to, to be keeping keeping your mind switched on to what where this black cube is going, where this green cube is going, and and, and know that chain precisely because there's, there's very little ways of, of, of sort of keeping that in mind over the course of, of a few days, basically. But, yeah, in person, so just plug yourself in for half an hour and, and, and switch some cubes around, and it's, yeah, a great little mid-light-medium mid, game. I'll say just before we move into expansion territory, this yeah. is a game that joins my personal pantheon of really addictive digital solo-able board games. For instance, I have played this game solo, I think maybe seven or eight times today already. It's available on BGA. You have to switch it to friendly mode, but you can choose solo. And basically, it sets it up for you. It shuffles everything for you, obviously. You can get it to play a specific scenario or for one of the seven scenarios or something like that. It will deal you out a starting board, maybe three or four project cards that have to get built within yes. the span yeah. of four rounds. But beyond that, everything else is gravy. So it's a personal challenge of... How can I maximize my score and build those necessary buildings uh, as efficiently as and effectively as possible? And it's pretty darn addictive. I mean, it's, it might just be me that likes those types of board game puzzles and personal puzzles, essentially. But uh, yeah, I, I do I do like that skill, score chasing in a yeah, digital I, I, online game. I played game. a few games of that myself. I it, it's certainly much more deterministic much more of a, more of a puzzle because you, you there's no draft you have rather than drafting seven cards you basically have 10 cards each round but you draw five you draw five decide what you're doing with those and then draw the other five so there's a little bit of uncertainty but largely it's it's more deterministic than the than the base game and and more you get you're going to see much higher scores generally because you're not uh, competing for those supremacy bonuses it's just if you get over five production and a particular color you get the bonus so you can really plan ahead and know exactly what you're going to get and if, if you enjoy score chasing it, it, it's a great one of those i found it a little bit uh like it's all a bit arbitrary in the end like there's, there's six different scenarios but they're all just here's three cards that you start with with no particular meaning and, and, and that is also going to force 
what strategy you take because those starting cards are going to tend to be a particular color and you're going to have to focus on, on producing those colors, obviously. Those starting cards definitely do give you a direction to move into because they they give you a point uh, modifier and starting resources. But I will definitely recommend soloing that if you are trying to figure out something to do in between uh, games and you'll definitely get to know a lot of the cards and the card types very well. It was a great practice mode, I found, just to, to really zero in on how to build a, an engine. And, and it's, you can get in and out in half an hour. It play, plays really quickly. It's a snap, snappy little game. Great. You want to touch upon the, the uh, expansion that we played uh, briefly? Yeah. So last night we did dive into the, the first campaign expansion. I believe it's called War or Peace. Uh, so th- it's, it's, a, it's a campaign, but it's, it's like five or six scenarios, basically. Each one you get an envelope that's going to shake up the game a little bit. There is some, there is story. There's, there's actually a lot more story than is in the, uh, in, in the base game. But it's uh, all, all like little thematic touches, like what the one without spoiling anything here, you're all in theory, trying to, trying to, to work together for peace. And so now there's a, a card in the, in the middle of the game that you all can contribute resources to in a, in a sort of a bit of a joint effort. And that's just the first scenario. And yeah, so all of the, from what we've experienced so far, all of the, the tweaks were pretty small. It reminded me of My City, where it's just tweak, tweaking the game in small ways and then taking it away again. It's not like ramping up complexity or anything. It's just here's a little tweak that changes the puzzle for this game, and then here's a different little tweak for this game. So it's I don't know that any of them would, would really... I wouldn't necessarily want to re- return to many of these, uh, but for a quick campaign and constantly keeping shaking things up, it, it's it's been really enjoyable. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not like uh, a legacy game in that you have to rip something up or write something down on permanently on a board. I think you can just shuffle these components back into the envelopes and pull them back out, and you could probably pull them back out in any order you wish to. But at the point you might say, why, why would you? I, I think if you are going to say to your pals, let's make a day of It's a Wonderful World, this is a re- great way to keep keep each particular game session fresh because it's just different enough and you'll see mm. just enough of a arc to the different games that you will have, uh, you know, felt that it's a, it's an experience, but it doesn't take too much away from the core game mechanism, which is pretty solid on its own. Yeah, and it did like the thematic touches. Like, it, it, there was more theme in this. Like, again, I, know, I, I want to stay away from spoilers, but the the small tweaks it, it did manage to in, in, infer some some theme into the game. Like, as you can imagine, there's, there's going to be some war. There's going to be some peace, and how how that's represented, I thought was was quite clever for such a small abstract game. It's a, it's an elegant, streamlined system that just a, a very small tweak can completely change that puzzle. Right. I'll just say that if you ever wanted to role play what it's like to be one of those quote unquote world leaders at the Davos session every year, then you can do just that with these campaigns. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've, I've also played a little bit of the leisure and decadence campaign. I've been working through that solo. So I, I, that, that's 
works quite similarly. It's a little more involved from what I've seen of it so far. It definitely feels like more of an expansion, and the campaign just works as a bit of an introduction to those expansion mechanics. Uh, but yeah, similarly enjoyable so far, and just tweaking it in some in some small ways. Right. All right. Should we give our closing thoughts? Let's do it. Well, you can probably tell from how I've been describing it that I, I like this game quite a bit. It's been really enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable actually in the more recent plays that I've played, you know, pretty intensely in the last week or so. Not so much months ago when I first started playing. I would say that this is not a very deep game. I'll probably get tired of it soon enough. <laughs> and if you like this sort of like near future strategy type competitive game uh, with a little bit of politics and a little bit of science and research, I would recommend something more deep like that underwater cities, uh, at least the base game I know fairly well. It's, it, I would say it's much more enjoyable and deep than this, but I might even put the two games together and make a It's a Wonderful World hmm. Underwater <laughs> Cities night or weekend of it. And It's a Wonderful World could be a, a filler in between sessions of the larger game. Uh, maybe you can even work in some coup or something like that into the mix as well. And you have a nice blend of near future pseudo apocalyptic worlds type games and, and, and blend them all together. I think that'll be a fun night. Yeah, so my group has tended to not play many of these lighter games. We, we, we tend to play one big game at night, and that's it. So I, I've tended to give short shrift to these, you know, half hour to hour games that haven't gotten much play. So it, it's been a joy to, to, to experience something like this that you can get in and out, get a, a, a real burst of, of, of action for just a little while and, and, and get out. It's, it's not going to change the world. <laughs> it's, I said, the theme is extremely surface level and it's all just efficiency for efficiency's sake and just trading cubes for other cubes. There's, there's not much there, but once you, once you plugged in, I, I, feel, I just found the, the little macro decisions moment to moment to be incredibly engaging. Just said you, you, there's not really, there's no really no downtime in this game. There's very little friction. Uh, you just once 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 the game starts, you're 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 on for the for that half hour or so. Uh, and so yeah, it's a great little sharp burst of of, uh, of action. Right, recommended from me. All right, shall we talk uh, about what we're going to be playing next? Uh, have we decided that yet? <laughs> uh, well, it, I think we should be playing a video game. Yes. So the game that I've been meaning to foist upon you, I guess, it's a game that I've been enjoying for a number of years, but I think it's done, doing some interesting stuff recently. It is called Eternal, uh, which is a very generic sounding name. It's, uh, <laughs> I won't say too much about it, except that it's from, it's a digital game, but it's uh, very much based on the CCG type game experience like Magic the Gathering. A lot of crossover there, Hearthstone-style game. You can find this on PC, console, tablet, so many places. It's been around for a better part of 10 years, probably, and it's entirely free-to-play. So I would say to you, Daniel, jump right in. And they're doing some interesting stuff for new players now. nowadays. I won't spoil it, but we're going to be playing the digital card game Eternal from Direwolf Publishing. Shows of... Dune Imperium, actually. 
Yeah, I've, I've seen this around for a while now, and I'm, in, I'm a big fan of that. I've been playing a little bit more Magic the Gathering lately, and I, I used to play some Hearthstone back in the day. So, yeah, I'm very curious, curious to check this out and can compare my my, my newbie perspective to, to your uh, experience. Yeah, and the great thing about it is it's quite soloable. I, I won't say any more than that, but if you want to hit me up for a duel as well, that's also uh, at the heart of the game. Excellent. Looking forward to checking that out. Very cool. So we'll be doing that. Any other shout outs you want to make before we wrap things up? Yes, just quickly. I think I may have mentioned this last episode, but a friend of the show, Anna Maria, is currently just, just launched a Kickstarter campaign for Shelf Care. This is a tabletop game coloring book. So it's uh, 20 artists from across the board gaming and, and, and TTRPG world have contributed a coloring page. So it's, an, it's a new way to celebrate your love of the hobby and also support some independent artists. And I, uh, full disclosure, I, I, my wife is one of those artists. So, so I, I'm inclined to want to support that, but it, yeah, it's some, some fantastic art that the Miko is in there. Tyler from Covray is one of the artists. There's, there's some wonderful talent there. Very nice. Well, I know that your partner produces some great art, so that should be an excellent pro- project to look at. Um, I don't have anything to announce myself, so I'll just say go support that and go check out, um, what is it called? Dreams and Machines, the forthcoming uh, tabletop RPG game from Modifius. Yes. Oh, and one final other plug I should probably mention. Uh, I don't often mention my, my personal channel, Board Game Feast, but I did just relaunch my blog. Uh, I've been getting a little bit tired of social media and the, the various sinking ships there right now. So uh, you can check that out at boardgamefeast.com where I post uh, recipes and sort of ideas to to level up your, your game night with, with some edible board game themed treats. And uh, we'll be posting some reviews and, and other content there as well. Very cool. Well, I look forward to playing some Eternal the Card Game with you in the future. Um, if I don't talk to you this coming weekend, uh, have a good one. And Yes, enjoy your Canada Day getaway. Yeah, thank you so much. And for everyone out there uh, playing, uh, get yourself a balanced diet of gaming. Goodbye. Thanks for listening.